Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So we are going to Tarantino this sermon. Are you guys ready? So blood is gushing from my head. My brother runs to find my dad. He's screaming, Dad, we have to take Michael to the hospital. There's blood everywhere. My mom grabs my little sister. They throw us into our yellow station wagon, and we start to drive out of the parking lot toward Fairfax County Hospital. As we're driving away, the worship pastor is chasing after our car, shouting, we have insurance, and we can pay for the hospital bills for you. We're going to pause right there. So today we're continuing our storyteller series where we are learning from the parables that Jesus taught and we're applying them to our own lives. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he told parables in order to illustrate spiritual lessons, lessons about forgiveness and redemption and grace and mercy, lessons focused on spiritual growth. He told countless parables showcasing his love for us and his desire for us to love other people. And one great thing about Jesus as a storyteller was that he always knew his audience, So when Jesus was teaching, he knew how to relate to the crowd that was around him. The problem with that is there are times when we open the Bibles, and it's hard for us to understand the same thing in those stories. So we can open up our Bible and read stories about plowing a field, or storing food in barns, or wheat, or sowing seeds, or sheep. And I don't know about you, I've never been a farmer. In fact, one of the things that made me nervous about moving to Frederick was I thought I'd have to own a farm. I've never plowed a field. I've never tended sheep. So there are times when I open up the Bible and I read these parables about Jesus and I don't fully understand or grasp everything that he's teaching. And so because of that, it's important for us as we learn and read these stories to also experience and learn the context in which Jesus is teaching. And so today we're going to read a parable called the sheep and the goats. But before we do, I'm going to try and provide you with some context that the crowd would have already known about sheep and goats. And so I went on sheep101.com. It's a real place, people. It's a real place. So and this is what I learned. I said, this is what I learned. Did you know that sheep and goats are extremely similar? Think of goats and sheep as being cousins. They both have hooves. They're both herbivores. They have similar lifespans. They're herd animals, and they both bleat. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what that is. Like my kid's book, like, it's like a sheep goat, that. <laughs> they both do that. Um, the easiest way to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat is actually the tail. A goat's tail goes up while a sheep tail hangs down and is often docked. I actually taught on this parable a few years ago at a church in Annapolis, and I met a guy who grew up, and he was a shepherd in Australia. And he told me that as a kid, one of the first things his parents taught him was how to tell the difference between sheep and goats as they were milling about in pastures. Those hundreds of them were there. And he said that telling the difference between these two animals as they roamed these pastures and they kind of tried to uh, herd and shepherd these animals was one of the hardest parts of his job. It was one of the first things that he had to learn. In order to further this point, we're going to play a game. So I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. And I want you to guess whether or not this is a sheep or a goat. I have a hunch that because we're in Frederick, this is going to go better than I expect. <laughs> All right, so picture number one. Is it a sheep or a goat? Sheep. Yep, it's a sheep. All right, picture number two. Goat, yep. All right, picture number three. Yep. All right, number four. That one's really obvious. And picture number five. Ah, you don't know, do you? Yeah, there it is. That's a sheep. Uh, I know. So you failed. Um, 
So looking at these pictures, if you see a sheep with some black spots or a goat that's all white, it can be hard to tell the difference. Now imagine if there are hundreds of them, and imagine if they're all roaming around together. The point I'm trying to make is that if you quickly glance at a sheep and a goat, it can be hard to tell the difference because they sound the same, they kind of act the same, they kind of look the same. Side note, if you're having a rough week, Google baby sheep and baby goats and just look at pictures all day. You won't regret it. I spent like three hours like clicking through to find those five pictures. Whatever, don't judge me. It's, it's when I get done driving and I'm so angry at Frederick. I'm like, I'm going to look at pictures of sheep and goats. So in this parable, Jesus is actually going to compare sheep and goats. And as soon as he makes this comparison, there's an understanding among the people that are in that crowd that these animals are similar. They would know that sheep and goats look the same and sound the same and often act the same. They would have this understanding that as a, at a glance, someone could accidentally assume a goat is a sheep or a sheep is a goat. And so it's important before we read this parable that we have that same understanding, that we have that same recognition, that sheep and goats are very similar. So we're going to read this parable. It starts in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. And this is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so Jesus, in this moment, he's actually teaching a parable. He's talking about judgment day. He's talking about a day when Jesus will come back and he will set everything right. One day, Jesus will come back and make all things new and set everything right. Revelation, which is actually the last book of the Bible written by a guy named John, John writes about this, and this is one of the things that he describes this judgment day. In Revelation 21, verse 4, he says this. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so this parable starts with Jesus explaining that there will come a day when Jesus comes back and he'll set all things straight, that there will be no more mourning, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more tears. And during that time, he'll scoop everybody up and he'll actually separate people into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And, and this is often called, if you haven't heard of it as Judgment Day, it's often called the rapture or even the second coming. If you've been around church for a while or if, or if you've ever seen a guy in the street corner screaming from a megaphone, you might have heard those phrases. But whatever you want to call it, the idea is that this world will not last forever. That there will come a time when Jesus will come back and we will stand before him. And we will either spend eternity in heaven with him or we will be separated from God and spend eternity in hell. And we don't know when this will happen. In fact, Jesus actually says no one knows the date or the time that even he doesn't know. But we trust that it will happen. And listen, just like most church things, people debate what this will, actually, will exactly look like. There are multiple viewpoints. There's a post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial view, and I have no idea which one is right, and this sermon is not about which one of those views is correct. In the 90s, there was a book series called Left Behind. Some of you have read that. And it wrote about a pre-millennial view. It was later made into a few movies that starred Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage. There's not much more I can say about that, except if your viewpoint of Judgment Day comes from Nicolas Cage, you might want to reconsider that. But the point is that Jesus is trying to make, whether it's amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, it doesn't matter. The point is, life isn't forever. There's a 100% mortality rate. At some point, we will all stand before God and have to answer for the ways that we lived our lives. And Jesus continues, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And there are two things that are really important in this verse that I want to point out. 
The first is that in verse 34, Jesus is talking to the sheep. He's talking to those on his right. We read earlier, he separates the sheep and the goats, and the sheep end up on his right. And the sheep are people who have put their faith in Jesus, people who have proclaimed Jesus as their savior and the leader of their lives, people who have accepted that gift of grace that Jesus offers. And those people are blessed by God, and they inherit the kingdom of God. The second thing I want to point out with that specific verse is that word inheritance. The word inheritance is mentioned multiple times in the Bible in reference to people spending eternity in heaven with God. And so Jesus is telling these people, he's telling the sheep, come take your inheritance. And this phrase is really cool if you really think about it, because inheritance isn't something that is earned. Think about it. Think about it in our own context. We can't create inheritance for ourselves. Inheritance isn't earned. It's not deserved. It's something our parents do for us. Someone else had to pay the price for us to inherit that. And some of you right now are currently saving money or making investments so that you can leave behind inheritance for your children. It's a way that we can love them and you can bless them and leave them better off. But you pay the price for that. That means you take less vacations or maybe you work a few more years post the time when you could retire. And you do that so you can leave your children with something valuable. And so we have the opportunity, this is what this parable teaches, we have the opportunity to inherit the kingdom of heaven. This means that we have the opportunity to accept the free gift of grace that Jesus offers. Our sin creates a debt with God that we cannot pay. And so Jesus pays that price when he was tortured, humiliated, beaten, and then hung on a cross. He died for our sin, so we don't have to pay that price. And because of that, we get to experience life. Life to the fullest here on this earth. But more importantly, eternity in heaven where there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears and everything is made new. It's inheritance. It's not deserved. We can't earn it. But Jesus pays for it and then hands it off to us. And this comes to the sheep, but we have the same opportunity to experience that grace and that peace and that freedom. And for us personally, it starts with us putting our faith in Jesus, and the tangible step that is paired with that is baptism, a symbolic death of our old self and a raising up of our new self. And for some of you, you read this and you're really struggling because you're wondering, am I a sheep or a goat? Where am I in this? And we'll continue to move through it. But for some of you, you've been wrestling with that decision of whether or not I actually want to fully follow Jesus. My encouragement for you is to take that step and come take that inheritance. You can't earn it. It's not deserved. But that's what grace is all about. The parable continues. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And so again, Jesus is talking to the sheep and he's saying, you cared for me. You fed me, you clothed me, you took me in. You made my well-being a priority. But then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And so these people, these sheep in this story, they're confused. And they ask Jesus, Jesus, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you sick? Jesus, when did we see you? From reading this, you kind of get this understanding that the sheep are confident that they would know if they took care of Jesus in that way. Now remember, these are people that have said Jesus is the leader of their life, that Jesus is their savior. So if they fed Jesus, if they took care of Jesus, if they saw Jesus in prison, they would remember that. In fact, they probably would have been proud of that. Not in a boastful way, but in a way that they've longed for the opportunity to care for Jesus in the same way that he cares for them. 
you know if these people saw Jesus hungry or Jesus in pain or if they saw Jesus in need, they would have taken care of him. But they ask that question, when did we see you? Because they're confident that they hadn't had that opportunity. But, but the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so Jesus explains to his sheep, to the people on his right, that when you took care of my people, you took care of me. When you loved your neighbor, you loved me. When you loved the least of these, not just your family or your friends or the people that are easy to love, the least of these, not just people that society says are important and valuable, the least of these, not just people who believe the same thing as you or look the same way you do, the least of these. One of the things that we learn from this is our love for God is illustrated by our love for other people. I'm gonna say that again because I want that to really sink in. Our love for God is illustrated by our love for other people. So Jesus is telling the sheep and the crowd listening to this story, when you love the least of these, you loved me. When you took dinner to the single mom down the street because you just wanted to give her a break, you loved me. When you watched your neighbor's kids so they could go on a date night for the first time in months, you loved me. When you volunteered with youth because you realized a ton of students in our county specifically come from broken homes, you loved me. When you dropped your busy schedule to console a friend going through a divorce or the loss of a family member, you loved me. When you woke up early and you gave a part of your Sunday to help set up and tear down this church in order to create a safe place for people to learn about God and faith, Jesus says, you were doing that because you love me. Because when you love people, you love Jesus. And then Jesus will continue. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the internal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And Jesus shares to these people on his left, he shares to the goats. He tells them, you're the same people, you had the same opportunities to love the least of these, but you chose not to. You saw your neighbors who were struggling and you ignored them. You saw kids who were hungry and thought, not my problem. You saw church as an opportunity, opportunity to consume and thought, I'm glad someone else will take care of this for me. You saw the least of these, and you chose to do nothing because the goats cared more about themselves than they did about other people. You see, on the surface, they might look like sheep. They might sound like sheep. They might hang out in the same place and eat the same food as sheep, but they're goats. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And what I love about the story is they actually ask the exact same question that the sheep asked. They asked Jesus, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger? When did we see you? And they're thinking about all the ways they've never seen Jesus. And they're thinking that, hey, if I saw Jesus hungry, I would have fed him. If I saw him in need, if I saw Jesus in need, I would have stepped up. Jesus, when did we see you? Something really important about how they responded to Jesus as well is when they say, Lord. Lord, which means leader. And we don't know in reality if the goats considered themselves followers of Jesus and if they called him Lord because they truly believed he is. Or in that moment, they're standing before God and they're like, oh crap, maybe he is Lord. We don't know. But when they recognize Jesus as Lord, they're recognizing him as a leader and as the son of God. So in this moment, they're saying, Lord, you are my leader, but the way they live their life said otherwise. And so Jesus will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You didn't do it for your friends. You didn't do it for your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you bump shoulders with every single day. And because of that, you didn't do it for me. All of those people that needed to be fed, all of those people that needed to be clothed, all those who are beaten and bruised and left in a ditch. Jesus is saying, when you chose not to love them, you chose not to love me. Because when you choose not to love people, you are choosing not to love Jesus. And that's just not my opinion. That's straight from his mouth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And this parable teaches us that the result is eternal punishment. Now, there are two things I want to make sure are incredibly clear when it comes to this parable and this teaching of Jesus, because a lot of people will take this and kind of twist it and turn it different ways to kind of create their own agenda. So the first thing I want to point out is the sheep don't inherit the kingdom of heaven because they did good things, right? They don't earn it. It's not something that they can get. It's an inheritance. It's given to them that somebody else paid the price for. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation and eternity in heaven, you cannot earn those things. It is not through the good deeds that you do. It is a gift from God. Those sheep have accepted that gift. They have said that Jesus is the Lord of their life. They have put their faith in Jesus. They love people and take care of the least of these because of their love for Jesus. Because they have received grace, they want other people to know that Jesus loves them, that grace is available, and that eternity with God is worth having. It's not something that they work hard to earn. It's given to them. But they illustrate their love for God in the way that they love other people. The second thing is that the sheep don't understand grace. Or sorry, the goats don't understand grace. And this is actually a lot of Christian people. And to be honest, maybe it's some of you. And you're thinking, if I am saved by grace through faith and what what Jesus did for me when he died on a cross, and not because I earn it, and he doesn't take it away from me if I make a mistake next Tuesday, then why should I change? Why do I have to change that part of my life? And you'll recognize that Jesus says that you should do that, but you'll say, I am saved. I'm going to stand before God one day, and if he asks me about that part of my life, I'm going to say, no, I didn't change, but I have the grace card, so boom, save me. And a lot of us think that way or hope that's the way it's going to go, or a lot of us have experienced Christians and churches that feel that way. And that's certainly what the goats are hoping that I'm going to keep blowing off God because I have grace. But this parable teaches that Jesus will say, no, it doesn't work that way. The person who says, I love God and hates his neighbor is a liar about loving God. Jesus would say, you've missed it. That you don't understand me or grace because you cannot love God without loving people. If you do not love people, you do not truly love God. James 2 says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If you're like the goats where you gladly take care of Jesus while ignoring your neighbor, your faith is dead, and dead faith leads to eternal death. If you're a Christian who is struggling with this, and and you're having issues with this, or you've heard it a different way, I'd encourage you to read the book of Romans. There's a book in the Bible called Romans that was written to a church in Rome, and that's what this entire book is about. It says, yes, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and not by what you do, right or wrong, But if you are saved by faith through grace, it makes a difference in the way that you live your life, this life right here with God and the people around you. Romans teaches us if it doesn't, if it doesn't change the way we live our lives and the way we treat other people, then your salvation and you being a follower of Jesus doesn't make a difference. And Jesus would say you don't understand grace and you certainly don't understand Jesus. 
being saved by faith through grace always leads to a changed life and a changing life. And so the sheep's love for God was illustrated by their love for people. They showed their love for God in the way they loved their neighbors and their coworkers and the least of these. But the goats didn't love people. And Jesus said they didn't truly love God. So let's get back to the beginning of the story. Some of you have already forgotten that I talked earlier. So blood is gushing out of, my fore, out of my head, and we're rushing to the hospital. And as we're driving away, the worship pastor is chasing after our car, shouting, we have insurance, and we can pay the bills for you. So I didn't grow up going to church. Um, this was because my parents weren't church people. My dad grew up going to Catholic school and Catholic church. My mom did Christmas and Easter, mostly so they could dress up. And so when they had kids, they made the conscious decision to not do church. Church wasn't going to be a thing for us. The closest thing for religion in my house was sports. On Saturday, we spent all day on the baseball diamond. On Sunday, we watched football. And so going to church wasn't something that we did. In fact, the only church service I'd ever been to growing up were Catholic funerals. And so after experiencing those, we thought, no, thank you. We had no desire. We thought everything was okay. And to be honest, we didn't feel like anything was missing from our lives. When I was in middle school, a new family moved in across the street, and the first thing that we noticed about this family was that they were kind of strange. They'd moved from California to Northern Virginia. Uh, the first thing that we picked out and saw from them was that they were nice, uh, which is rare in Northern Virginia. <laughs> I kept telling them, don't do that here. Don't be nice to us. Uh, but they also rarely wore shoes, and sometimes they'd sit on their front porch, and their dad would play the guitar, and they would sing together. And so even though we thought this family was a bit strange, we actually became really good friends. They had kids our age, so we'd play in the street together. We'd have barbecues. It was fun. After getting to know them a bit, we learned that they had moved from California to help a new church plant in Chantilly, Virginia. And the dad was actually on staff as a worship pastor. Now, my family had no idea what a church plant was. And to be honest, we didn't know what a worship pastor was. But we knew that we weren't really interested in church or Jesus. And so we let our neighbors know that if they invited us to church, that we would say no. But that didn't stop them from asking us. One night we were hanging out with them, and they asked if we would join them at church the next, next day. So without hesitation, we said no. A few weeks later, they asked again. We said no again. Finally, after trying to get us to church a few times, we let them know that we just weren't interested, but if something changed, we would let them know. A few months later, we were watching football on a Sunday afternoon when there was a knock at our door, and it was our neighbor he said, I want to invite you to something that's not church. And so, of course, we're skeptical, but my dad let him continue. He said, we're hosting a fall festival next Saturday, and you guys should check it out. It's completely free. There are no strings attached. Your kids will love it. There will be games, candy, live music, and did I mention, it's free. And still skeptical, my dad asked what the catch was. He asked, are we going to show up and end up in a corn maze, and when we come out the other side, be forced into a worship service? He said, when you say free, do you mean that there'll be baskets everywhere asking for donations? But our neighbor promised us that it would be completely free. And he said, if we show up at 11 a.m. when it starts and stayed until the end, we could actually eat lunch and dinner there. See, they knew us well enough to know that food was the way to our hearts, especially because we were a family of five and we were on free and reduced lunch. And so they knew that we could have free meals. And so there was an opportunity to eat, so we went. The next Saturday, we showed up at Ormondstone Middle School where the church met on Sundays. Before we ever turned into the parking lot, there were people welcoming us and greeting us. When we got out of our car, we could hear a live band that was actually really good. College football was on a projector screen. There were games and prizes everywhere. They had multiple grills going, turning out hot dogs and hamburgers, and it was all free. There were no strings. And everywhere we went, there were people who treated my family well. 
that treated my family as if they were the most important people there. In fact, they treated every family this way that came through that day, and it was amazing until the end. At the end of the night, it was getting dark, and my brother and I decided to go on the moon bounce one more time. It was just the two of us that were roughhousing a bit. He's a little bit older than me, but I'm bigger than him, so it was my opportunity to get back at him. As we jumped around, we realized at some point a third kid had entered dressed as Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz Lightyear had never been on a moon bounce before, so he was a little bit of a spaz. And he ran around, he was jumping all over the place, and at one point, Buzz Lightyear bounced so hard, he had bounced down and he hit my back and pushed me into my brother's head. I started to feel a bit woozy, so my brother and I stepped out of the moon bounce, and I reached up to wipe sweat from my forehead, and when I brought my hand down, I realized that it was sticky. It wasn't sweat. It was blood, and it was everywhere. My brother ran to grab my dad. My mom grabbed my sister. We got in the car and sped out of the parking lot, and that night, I spent a few hours in the hospital and walked away with a few stitches in the side of my head. That was my first church experience. (laughs) As we drove home that night, I remember riding in our yellow station wagon. My dad was driving. My mom is in the passenger seat, and it was my sister, me, and my brother. I remember my mom turning around and asking us if we wanted to go to church the next day. Now, most normal people who just spent a few hours in the hospital would say no, but for some reason, we said yes. When we showed up that day to the Fall Fun Fest, we weren't searching for Jesus. I like to tell people that we didn't have a Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts, but we had a hot dog-shaped hole in our heart. (laughs) But while we were there, we bumped into Jesus. And the reason why that happened is because there were a group of people whose love for God was shown in their love for other people, for the least of these, for my family. And because we experienced that love with no strings attached, we went back the next day. My favorite part of that story is that was 20 years ago, and I have no idea who those strangers are. I don't remember their names. If they stood right in front of me, I wouldn't know who they were. But I like to think that one day they'll stand before Jesus and he will say, when you took care of the least of these, you took care of me. And these people will respond, Jesus, when did we? And Jesus will say, the Bartlett's. And the even cooler part about that story is that there are people who loved my family 20 years ago that treated us with respect and dignity and took care of us, and they have no idea that this church even exists. See, when it comes to the sheep and the goats, It can be hard to tell the difference. They sound the same, they look the same, they spend time in the same places, but they're different. The sheep love God and love people, and the goats only claim to love God. And so I want to leave you with three questions, and these are three questions that I wrestle with all the time. And these are three questions that we wrestle with as a church uh, every single week. And the first question is this, what would the world be like if we all loved people the way the sheep loved people? Like, what would the world truly be like? What would we read on social media? What would we see on the news if the world loved people the way the sheep did? The second question is this. What would our city be like? What would Frederick be like if the people that called Jesus their Lord and called Jesus their Savior truly loved people the way sheep did, the least of these, unconditionally, no strings attached? And the third question, the one I wrestle with the most, is what would this church be like? What would collective be like if we all acted that way? as a group of sheep, people who loved the city unconditionally, people who loved the people here unconditionally, no strings attached, the least of these, not just the people that we like or the people that are easy to like or the people that have the same political views or look the same or sound the same as us, but all people. What would this church be like? I don't know about you, but I'd like to find out. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Um, for another story that you share that can really push us and challenge us. Um, 
God, I know that there are people in this room that come from many different backgrounds when it comes to church and, and who you are and what grace looks like and what faith looks like and what active faith looks like. So God, I just pray today that we can take this story as foundation for the way that we are called to live. That God, for the people here that say that Jesus is their leader, that Jesus is their Lord, that they act like sheep, that they take care of the least of these not so that they can boast or brag, not so that they feel like they can earn something, not so that they believe that maybe eternity will come as a result of that, but because we love you. God, I, I pray truly this church can be the catalyst for that in our city and in our community, and to be honest, in our world. God, I think this world would be a very different place if we all loved the least of these the way that these sheep did. So God, I pray this week you give us opportunities. Give us opportunities to love people, even the people we don't like. God, give us those opportunities. Put, us, put them in front of us. Let us wrestle with this idea. But God, ultimately, let us take action and love people the way that you love us, full of grace, full of truth, undeserved, and relentless. God, I pray for the people here that are struggling with this mentality and maybe feel like they're more toward the ghosts that they know that the way that they become a sheep and the way that they truly love you is to love other people. God, I pray those people who struggle with that have the most opportunities this week to move closer to being a sheep. God, thank you for your stories and the way that they challenge us and push us. God, thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us. And ultimately, you don't ask us to do anything that you haven't already done and aren't willing to do. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.